But today, we're going to um, look at Joseph. And uh, you notice the, oh, the title's not there. Um, can you give me that beginning slide? There we go. There we go. You notice it's called It's a Family Affair. We're going to talk about Joseph, but really not about Joseph. Um, oh, yeah, and one thing, I've been told uh, there's a piece of tape here, and I'm supposed to stand on it. Um, but I was tempted to get up here and run around to see what they would do, but they, they told me no. Um, we're going to talk about Joseph and his family today. And just to give you a little backdrop on Joseph, Joseph was son number 11 of a gentleman named Jacob, and he was the favored son. And he was so favored that 10 of his brothers decided to sell him into slavery when he was 17. And if you read the rest of Joseph's story, he was in Egypt for 13 years, and over that time frame, he went through a bunch of trials and tribulations, and he ended up being second in command in Egypt. He was a prime minister. That's a whole different story. Um, But you think about this, you know, it sounds sort of funny, and maybe some of you want to do this with your siblings, but Joe got sold into slavery, which is pretty drastic. And then you go, well, wait a minute. Uh, why would they do that? What was the reason? There was something inside of them that had festered for a long time, and they really couldn't put their finger on it. All they knew was that Joseph was the problem. But that really wasn't the problem. They couldn't articulate what the problem was. Um, They thought by getting rid of him... uh, it would have taken care of the sort of empty feeling that they had inside. Uh, but if you read the rest of the story, you find out it really didn't. And you know, I'm sorry to say that some folks in this room and some folks watching, you are fighting with that empty feeling right now. And you're wondering, how did I get here? How did I get to this point in my life? You know, what's driving me internally? What's causing me to do drastic things to make my world right? So, you know, you think of Christian people, and by that I mean those who have a faith-saving relationship with Christ. They struggle with this too. And they ask, why do I feel empty? What's going on? And as they walk through their world and they read their Bible, they will run into a verse like John 10.10, which says, I have come to give life and give it to the full. Okay, that sounds cool. The life is eternal life, and then this life that is full. And people have a tendency to decide what the full is. They decide. It could be a job, could be a career, could be a good relationship with their family, all of these things. They, they decide what the fool is, but really, if you look at this, who decides what the fool is? It's Jesus, not us. So they hear this, and then there's this group called Switchfoot that states, maybe we've been living with our eyes half open, maybe we're bent and broken, Just think about that. So we're deciding what full is. Well, at the same time, maybe we're not seeing what full really is. Maybe we are bent and broken. 
And you know, I'll be honest, I'm 65, and you know, I'm bent and broken, been bent and broken for a long time. When I was 25, I thought I could do anything. When I'm 65, I can barely do anything, right? Okay, so I understand this, but maybe, maybe we're not saying things like we should. So just keep that in the back of your mind for a moment. But Okay, I told you we were going to talk about Joseph's family. It got a little personal there, but I think we need to get into a family mood. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a game called TV Family Trivia. All right. Now, what this game is, and I, I hope we can do this without getting in trouble, um, is I'm gonna, we're going to drop a picture of a family up here from TV, and you get to call out who it is. Oh, okay, who's this? Cleavers. Leave it to Beaver. Okay. All right. Oh, I forgot to also say, this is from the, the, the 50s, yes. I forgot to also say, if you get all six correct... We will give you a self-autographed photo of yourself at the end of the game. So talk to Scott afterwards. He'll take your photo and you can sign it. Okay. So let's go to the next one. Who's this? Yeah. Right? And you, <laughs> thank you. You notice Cousin It is not in this picture. And was this the one that had thing in it too? Just the hand? Okay. Yeah, he's not there either. I don't know what the deal with that is. Okay, so that's from... The 60s. Now let's go to the next one. Oh. All in the family. Thank you very much. Yeah, Archie Bunker. Okay. This was the ultimate in non-political discourse, or non-political correctness discourse ever. And it was a shock to hear him say things out loud that really a lot of people were thinking. And he made it funny, but... So you see the progression of how this is going. Okay, now let's go to the 80s. Waltons, okay. And what do they say at the end of each show? Night John Boy, okay, see? So you see, we went from, we went from 50s with the Cleavers, traditional family, then we go to Adam's family, uh, then we go to Archie Bunker, and now we're back to a nice family, right? Let's go to the next one. Oh, my goodness. This is married with children. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Some people said Al Bundy. All right. That's right. That's the dad. And you, you'll see him pop up in the next one. But um, this was sort of sleaze of the 90s. Right? They, they really pushed the boundaries. You know, Archie Bunker was politically incorrect. These guys were sleazy. Okay. Now let's go to the next one. Modern Family. And you notice who the, the dad is in the background. It's Al Bundy, of course. But you sit here and you go, okay, Matt, what are you, why are you showing me this? What, what is going on here? And I want to tell you that for all of us in here, somewhere in between Leave it to Beaver and Modern Family is your life. Maybe bits and pieces of it, Maybe all of it. Maybe there's stuff up here that you don't want to talk about because they wouldn't show it on TV, right? But that's where we're coming from. Now, all of these shows all tried their thing. You know, it was a half hour. They'd have a dilemma. They'd have some goofiness in the middle. Then they would solve it. 
and people got their feelings hurt, but they're all trying to address issues of the current day and helping people out. And out of those shows came some walking wounded. And I think when I say that, some of you here today are walking wounded because of your family. And I get it. To this day, every once in a while, I'll wake up and I'll go, now why did I do that? And then I go, oh yeah. It's because of my family. Because it's something that was in my DNA. Because it's there. And you've got to be honest, um, there are no perfect families. If you ever stopped thinking about it, you have sinful parents, you have sinful kids, so you have sinful parents trying to raise sinful kids. There will be mistakes made. There just will. And dads, I think you know this, all of you can remember the point where you got over the top with your boys or your girls too harsh and I know that and you look back on it and you go oh my gosh what did I just do and that happens but to put this on the lighter side a good friend of mine told me once he says you know you're going to mess your kids up so mess them up in a way that works for you (laughs) I sort of like that logic I didn't do that sad part about it is for many people they come out of their childhood and get into their adulthood and they don't know the effect that that family relationship had good or bad they don't know they can't see today why they're acting a particular way because they can't see it and I call this spiritual cataracts because cataracts cover up what your eye is really seeing And, you know, Cindy, my wife, just had cataract surgery over the last three weeks. And the morning after the first eye was done, she woke up and she said, why is everything mostly blue? Why is blue so vibrant? She went to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, here's what happens. Cataracts are yellow. Yellow opposes blue. Your eye has been seeing mainly yellow for a long time. And it's been blocking out the blue. And so taking away the cataract allowed her to see what she had been missing. Of course, she said, you know, you look blue. And I said, I look like Papa Smurf. And she said, well, we won't go that direction. Um, But then the next week, she had last, last Wednesday, Tuesday, she had her other eye done. And everything seemed to be lavender. You know, and it's easing over time, but she did not see what she was missing. And her brain had allowed it to, it mitigated what was going on. It sort of filtered it and managed it. So you see, so I I call this sort of, you know, what you've got going on here is Joseph's family had no idea what they were doing, really. It was evil. They really couldn't see what was driving them internally. All they knew was Joe had to go. And if you read the rest of the story, that really didn't help that much. I'm going to show you some Old Testament passages here in a second that pertain to Joe's family. But I need you to pretend something with me. I need you to pretend that you 
believe in Jesus, that you've accepted him as your Savior, you've accepted his offer of salvation, you believe in the eternal life he's given you, you repent of your sin, but you only did this last week. And this story is new. And so you're a new Christian, and you decide to turn on the TV, and you go to the new channel called Bible Plus. And you turn on the story of Joseph, and you miss the first 20 minutes of the movie. And this is the scene you start with. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached him, they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. Ah, somebody's thinking, right? So, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into a cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up our blood? Cover up his blood. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, right? Our own flesh and blood. This is your first entrepreneur. His his brothers agreed. Oh. So, when the immediate merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels, which in today's dollars uh, is about 17.50 apiece. And there were 10 brothers, so they each got about $35 apiece for selling their brother. Hmm. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped a robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animals devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Show cuts to a commercial. And you sit there and you go, wait a minute. These are Bible people. Bible people are supposed to be nice. They're not supposed to be mean. I thought they were all good. I thought Bible people had fewer problems over time. Mm. Some of these guys are in their 40s. And they're doing this terrible thing to their brother. What's up with that? How did this family come to be this way? It's a great question. But for some of you folks here, 
How did you come to be where you are right now? What's driving you internally? What is it you can't define? You know, you can say Joseph's family was a bit messed up. You know, in today's terminology, they're called dysfunctional, which goes a lot of different ways. Dysfunctional is just a common term now. Um, but it's defined, this is one of the definitions, abnormal or impaired functioning, or in other words, messed up, on the part of an individual person between people in any sort of relationship or amongst the members of a family. Ah. But we need to know, we need to answer the question, how did this family get this way? Because they really didn't see what was going on that was driving them to this despicable thing. Now, remember the spiritual cataracts. Now, I'm going to show you a few passages to show you how they got there. Not as a justification, but I want to show you something. And there's five things I want you to pick out with these verses I'm going to read. Really, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the first 20 minutes of his movie, of the brother's movie. And as a side note, if you want to try to understand somebody, see if you can see the first 20 minutes of their movie. Because you can't judge them right then and there. You need to see the, move, the full movie. So well, let me give you five things we're going to look for here. Call them environmental factors. And different people in Joseph's family were part of these things. You have deception, deep longing for connection, jealousy, competition, favoritism. But let me start with Jacob's marriage to what turned out to be Leah and Rachel. Um, Jacob ended up going to see his uncle Laban, and he saw Rachel, his daughter, and he fell in love with her head over heels, and he said, I, I got to marry that girl. And so um, Jacob makes a deal with Laban. I want your daughter. Laban says, okay, you got to work for me for seven years. Jacob says, great. Jake, did you make a deal like that? To No, seven months? <laughs> seven years. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, and so the seven years went by real fast the wedding day shows up and here's what occurred now Rachel had a sister named Leah who was older now watch what happens this is Uncle Laban so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast but when evening came he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And they sit there and you go, no, wait a minute. Jacob didn't know it was Leah. There's, you can do all sorts of supposition, whatever, but he didn't. And Laban gave his servant Zippah, Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Look at how this marriage started out. And you sit there and you wonder, well, okay, why would Leah do this? Where was Rachel? Why would Laban do this? All sorts of stuff. doesn't matter. It's too late now. So within the week, Rachel becomes 
Jacob's wife also, so he now has two wives, but he's got to work another seven years. So you have deception. So then we'll go and we'll look at Leah. Take a look at Leah. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Ooh. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. Again she conceived. <laughs> my gosh. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. You hear it? There's that that cry for recognition, that cry for fulfillment, that cry is that I want something more than what I'm getting. Hmm. Then you go to Rachel. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. And so she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Wasn't his fault, right? Then she said, here is Billah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. That's desperate. So she gave him her servant Billah as a wife and oh, by the way, she said, hey, Jacob, I want you to do this with Billa. And does he say no? He goes, uh, okay. Okay. And later on, which we're not going to talk about, Leah does the same thing with Zilpah. And he goes, oh, okay. Um, so she gave him her servant Billa as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she came, became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. It's not her son. Because of this, she named him Dan. And this one I like. Rachel's servant, Billah, conceived again for Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. She won the baby games, I guess. I don't know. But you can feel it. You got, just in here, you got jealousy, competition, Then we go to Jacob. And Jacob was also known as Israel. And depending on how he was acting in Scripture, you'll see his name flip back and forth. But now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Uh-oh. Because the Lord, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. Remember the jacket that they took off of him? When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. There's your favoritism. So, to show you the five again, you saw it. Deception, deep longing for connection, jealousy, competition, and favoritism. And you could say that the brothers 
hated Joseph because he was getting what they wanted, which was Jacob's love. And you could say that his wives were fighting to be preeminent with children, but it was because they wanted Jacob's love. It wasn't that. It wasn't that at all. They needed the love of the Father. Same way we do. And you know, Jacob wasn't what they needed. You know, if you look back in Jacob's story, you know, Jacob was faulty at best as a dad and a husband. But if you look back in his story, if you see the first 20 minutes of his story, and then you go back to look at his dad Isaac's story, and then his grandfather's Abraham's story, you will find this same goofiness going on. They were all striving for something that only God could fulfill. And you say, Matt, this is a little depressing. Why are you bringing this up? What's your point? The point is, you can only get your fulfillment from God. That's it. And I know that sounds trite. I know that sounds too easy. I know that. But for many of you right now, you're looking for fulfillment in your family, in your job, in a relationship, in something that doesn't last. It doesn't. You know, I love going to Dairy Queen and getting the Oreo blizzard. Not the little dinky thing. I don't like dollops of ice cream. I like ice cream. <laughs> Thank you in the back. <laughs> but guess what? It's fulfilling. And then guess what happens a week later? I want another one. Right? <laughs> what I'm saying is that... Uh, it's time for some of us here to quit chasing this stuff. Quit trying to grab all the gusto. You're tired. And, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. You're trying to win your family's respect. Dad's love. Promotion at the job the career, all of that stuff. It doesn't come there. I'm old. I know. I don't know how many promotions I've had that thought, oh, I'm here. I made it. Then I get let go. <laughs> you know, so. Um, but it's time to be honest with ourselves. Time to admit we've been living with our eyes half open. Maybe we are bent and broken. Time for some spiritual cataract surgery. So I'm going to give you what I call a three-step progression. I didn't want to give you a three-step how to get through this, you know, it, because growing in Christ is a progression. It just is. You think you made it today. Well, guess what? Uh, there's something else. You know, when I coached Little League and soccer, I would lay out certain goals for the kids to hit, 
and they would hit him, and I would, I would congratulate him, pat him on the back. But then the next week, I'd raise the bar. And they'd go, ah, oh, come on, coach. And i go, nope, nope, got to get there. And they'd get there. And I just kept raising the bar. And these kids kept flocking to it. Same way with God. He says, great, I'm glad you're doing this today, but guess what? Something else. And you go, oh, come on, God, I'm tired. Nope. I will do this for you. Just do what I ask. So I want to give you this. Let me give you my little three-step progression. If I can see it. There we go. Realize you've been mastered. Give in to being remastered. And then start acting like the master. And you're going, what is this? Okay, I'll show you here in a second. Let's go to step number one. Second Peter 2.19 says, For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Now, a lot of people say, Oh man, that's just for people with real addictions and all that kind of stuff. And I go, nope. That's true, but nope. It's, what's the thing that's driving you? What's the thing that you think you need? That will make it all better. What is that? That's your master. That's your master. And you have to take a step back sometimes and realize, oh yeah, yeah. Why, why, why am I doing that? And like I said earlier, I'm 65 and I, I still do stuff that I go, where did that come from? And I go, oh yeah, that nine, ten years old. And you see, there's things that happened years ago when you were young that you didn't realize that are strongholds in your spirit right now, and they live there, and unless you realize that you've been mastered by something, they're going to stay there. A lot of things happen when you're young and impressionable, and you just sort of accept it, and it gets stuck. And God, in the way he does his thing, is when he comes into your life, he doesn't do design on a dime. He does what's known as gut the thing, right? He comes in and starts remodeling. He just guts each room. But you've got to realize that there's something wrong with the room. So realize you've been mastered. Step two, give in to being remastered. You know how a lot of movies now are remastered into, you know, color and Dolby Digital and all this kind of stuff? Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Doesn't that that sound good? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. Who would you really want, better want to learn from than Jesus? Because he knows who you are. He's seen the first 20 minutes of your movie. He knows. He's the best person to let him reveal what's going on. Now, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be painful. You know, Scripture says the, the word is like a sword. Now, that's either for battle or in that passage where it talks about in Hebrews, it defines between the bone and the marrow, which is more of a surgical procedure. Jesus comes into that level and says, hey, uh, this little piece here that you think is okay, it ain't okay. It ain't okay. We got to deal with this. Well, but it hurts. Well, yeah. But you'll be better. So you see, you got to come to him 
to figure out what's really going on because he's the truth. Isn't it, how's that go, the truth will set you free? Isn't that what you want? And then the last, step number three, act like the master. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Do you realize the ministry you have if God has remastered an area of your life and you see somebody else with the same struggle? You have instant respectability with this person. Because you can say, hey, I, I see this. I see this. And let me tell you what Jesus did for me. So you can point them back to the concept of they've been mastered, which means that they can get remastered, which means that they can start acting like the master. And, you know, I've had particular key terrible things happen in my life. And I've lived through them, and Jesus led me through it, and I've learned from them. And when I see somebody else in the same boat, guess what I want to do? I want to go talk to them. Here, let's go have a cup of coffee. Let me see how you're doing. Let me share with you. You know, you've got a lot of things going on. I can be that non-related person with no emotional tie that will hear you and listen and share and point. And you notice that sharing the comfort, there's no judgment in there. It's just, hey, this is what I know. This is all I know. And Jesus is the way to do it. So, you see, the, the brothers, they didn't know what they were doing. You know, you get to the end of the story where they all go to Egypt. And oh, by the way, all the brothers got to go to Egypt and the family. Nobody got left behind. And there's a point where the brothers say, hey, Joseph, dad's gone and he wanted to make sure that, you know, you didn't treat us bad. And he says, hey, you don't get it. What you intended for harm God intended for good to save many lives. And I want to leave you with that because, yeah, all of you, many of you, have been through some tough times. You're trying to figure it out. And really, in God's sovereignty, I don't get it. But it works. You know, I've had terrible things happen to me which I wouldn't wish on anybody, but I wouldn't trade them for the world. That sounds weird. But you see, we have to get to the point to where we say, but God is in this. God, you have to help me get remastered. So, I'm going to end there. I think I went over my 35 minutes, but that's okay. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you just put things out there as they are and for us to look at and for us to learn from and for us to see how you worked it all out. And Lord, that, that whole crew of Jacob's family and the 12 tribes and going to Egypt and becoming free, Lord, you used the natural resources that were there and you used these people that were really a lot of failures and you used them anyway for your glory and that's, that's a hope for us. So we thank you for this day. We thank you for... Uh, the worship time we're going to have. In Jesus' name, amen.